1: finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbusch, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 651 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show, where guess what? We still have so much PlayStation 5 news to talk about. It's what we've all been waiting for for so long, and we finally get to talk about it. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about this week, but before we jump in, I'm joined by Max Scoville. Hello. And Tom, I have no guest this week, Marks. That's correct. That was it. Yes. Hello. Oh wow, Tom! I have no guest this week. Wow, that's yeah. a great name. I love it. My parents um, are very on, weird. Yeah, you, you do what you can. My parents put the O at the end of Jonathan instead of the A for no good reason. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, for those who may be wondering, Brian is in the midst of a huge Animal Crossing charity stream right now on uh, our IGN Summer of Gaming. If you haven't been watching any of that, please tune in. There has been so much work going into all of. The uh, wonderful exclusives, reveals, interviews, uh, and a lot of stuff that, uh, in particular, Max and Tom have been working on. So please go check out all of that hard work. Uh, We also, if you're wondering, Lucy is off in the land of features doing a lot right now. And we were supposed to have uh, Khalif from Spawn on Me on this week, unfortunately, due to a scheduling snafu on my part, because I forgot how dates work. Uh, the timing didn't work out this week, but we hope to have him on next week. Uh, but please go if you haven't already checked out Spawn on Me, and we'll uh, be talking to Khalif a lot next week. Uh, but with that uh, past us, let's jump into all of the PlayStation 5 catch-up news we have, because a lot happened after the event, uh, which of course we covered on last week's show, but there's still a lot that happened. And the biggest one I want to talk about is the that Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales was a sequel then it was an expansion then it was a standalone game and uh you know just a whole lot of stuff happened in the 24 hours after the reveal so we saw that reveal during the ps5 event and then speaking to the telegraph shortly after sony's vp head of european business said quote i guess you could call it an expansion and an enhancement to the previous game there's a substantial miles morales component uh which i would hope given that he's in the game name, uh he continued, which is the expansion element, but also within the game as well, there's been major enhancements to the game and to the game engine, obviously deploying some of the major PlayStation 5 technology and features. So this led everyone to believe that, hey, oh, uh this is seemingly just an expansion of the original game that I we guess was getting remastered and then would be on PS5. Uh, but then Insomnia came out and officially said Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales is the next adventure in the Marvel Spider-Man universe. We will reveal more about the standalone game at a future date. Um, so it will be a proper standalone game. My guess is, based on what the VP head was saying, is that it's probably working off of the work they did on the PS4 game for the PS5 game, which I think makes sense and I don't fault them for. Uh, what did you guys think of this weird, sort of unnecessary, unforced error that happened?
3: Yeah, I think unforced error is a very good way to put it because it just feels like it is a rake that they did not need to step on right like the 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 best way i can explain it is like people understand what this type of game is players understand they we know lost legacy we know you know infamous had a similar thing D- dishonored death of the outsider for dishonored 2 there was that like this idea of a smaller game based off of an older game's kind of tech and the the, the base of it that tells a different story is is something people are really comfortable with and like? And like, for some reason, this interview calling it an expansion just threw this wrench into the gears that just like didn't need to be there. I just don't. It's so weird, and I, I think it's partly their fault for not really specifying anything in the the reveal event. But like, yeah, it just was this like headache that nobody needed to have.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because it like I I, I guess if. I guess it is, it's It's going to be nice to be like, oh, hey, you get all of Spider-Man on PS5 and it's got some extra bells and whistles plus like a, a substantial extra chunk. But like, how do you... How, that messaging is, I feel like I'm... I'm. It, it managed to kind of actually derail some of the hype there because mm-hmm. the way they presented it was so like, here's something new, here's something big and huge. But like, I mean, even even Lost Legacy was... Uh, I mean, they opened up like a PSX with that, right? Like that was, that was a big, huge kind of opening thing. And it... it I I guess I'm just based on what we've seen of of you know Spider-Man's DLC I just I'm I'm now like almost skeptical about how how big this is going to be or like what we should what, what we should be expecting um it's just like yeah it's it's odd um,
2: um so the the Lost Legacy comparison is really apt because uh J- Jason Trier reported that he had heard from sources that it is essentially a standalone game similar in scope to Lost Legacy and yeah my my guess is You know, we're gonna get New York. It's going to look different because it's a different season. There is going to be a new story within this New York, but it's going to be the same New York we know from the first game, which is I like not a bad thing. It's going to look prettier, it's gonna run smoother. Uh, you know, they've been using that Spider-Man tech demo to show everyone behind closed doors how quickly the PS5 can run. So this is probably gonna be a great launch game. It just feels like this is not the opening salvo that it needed they kind
4: of they kind of buried the lead there i feel like maybe they should have swapped horizon with spider-man in that in that presentation like obviously saving the best for last is always you know very well and good but yeah it's 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 also worth talking about is like we we compare this to you know existing sort of expansions and and add-ons and stuff but with open world games it's so tricky to how that gets integrated Mm. um like you look at um you look at infamous first light and that was like totally a standalone thing. And then you look at, uh, I don't know, like Witcher did one, like one expansion that was set on the existing overworld map. And then another one that was like an entirely new location. Skyrim's DLC was like, sometimes it's like, you can have a house with orphans that live in it. And sometimes you can go to another place that was in Morrowind or whatever. Like there was, it's, it's, it's weird to try to be like, we're going to add an existing, like they didn't, they weren't like, Hey, we've added Queens as DLC. They're like, here's a new story. It's a new season. But like, I'm guessing you're going to open this game up, and there's going to be, you know, start Spider-Man or start Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um,
2: I don't, I don't even know if that's the case. I wonder if it is almost just like this new game, but in the world. Like them saying standalone to me implies we'll probably also get a Spider-Man remaster down the line, and then they'll maybe like do a bundle pack or something. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that changes them the price point. If this is them like a forty-dollar offering, which doesn't, yeah. You know, the quality but it gives you a sense of the scope of it um so with the the- Line game was forty
4: when they did um when they did PS4. last of us left behind that was originally on p s three correct yes the
2: d l c was available on p s three
4: and then when last and- of when last of us came to p s four it included that in the in it as like a bundle yeah, Yes. I mean,
2: yeah, it, yeah um and so my my guess is we're going to get uh Spider Man Miles Morales at launch as its own thing, whether it's thirty, forty, sixty dollars, whatever, because we really don't know what the scope of the campaign is gonna be. But yeah, Max, you bring up the good point of like it's in an existing world. We know how side quests work in that world. We know how like random encounters work. Are they all just gonna be the same? Are they adding a bunch of new side quests to fill out that world, because otherwise New York is going to feel kind of empty if there's not the mm-hmm. same amount of side content. Are they going to have a bunch of new ones? Are they saving that stuff for the next Spider-Man? Because, like, there's obviously a lot of hanging threads from Peter's story that will presumably get addressed, but... Um, and the,
3: and the crazy thing is, like, none of these questions needed to come up right now, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. like, all they had to do is out the gate say, this is a standalone spin off, not a Spider Man 2. And all they had to do is say that, or even just the first part of it, and people would immediately just be excited for it. And I'm still excited for it. But like, it's, it's exactly what Max said, which is now we're all questioning it. And now we're all asking these questions when we were previously the day of just excited for this game.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> It's such a strange place for, I, I think, a game that, especially because the whole uh, main Beyond crew was watching the show together, I think when that came on screen, we were all like, oh, we're taking the show seriously. Like, Sony is right. all in. We're all in. And yeah, if they had just come out and said, hey, it's a standalone spin-off or something like that, I would have been like, okay, well, I'm excited for Spider-Man 2. It makes sense. That's not a launch title. This will probably still be really fun. But yeah, like you are saying, it just now raises inherently a lot of questions about what the game will be that they now have to answer in that first preview beat presumably we'll get before launch rather than kind of showing what they want of the game. It just changes the perspective we go in with. Um, it's a a strange downer note for what was either uh, otherwise a pretty cool reveal from that show. Um I did want to, since, Tom, we have you on the show now, I do want to ask before we move on to the next update that came out after that show, what was sort of like the the best or like biggest reveal for you? Because you were helping us with news on the show. You were writing a wrap-up article. Um, so everything was coming in so quick for you to have to cover. But like what excited you the most for what you saw?
3: Um, bug snacks. <laughs> No, uh, but everyone's crazy about Bugs Max. I, I, I think that game looks cool. Uh, I really was excited about the new Heart Machine game, although that wasn't like a proper brand new sort of thing. Um, Miles Morales really excited me. Horizon Zero Dawn really excited me. I was a big fan of the way that the system looked. Uh, I know that that is contentious with some people, but like I'm, I'm really into it. Um, I was really They're happy <laughs> that. They, <laughs> I, I was really happy that they showed it right? Like I was not expecting that. Um, yeah, it was, it was just like a really fun hype. Like it was a hype show. Like it just had like, even the smaller things that didn't really excite me that much were still cool <laughs> and we're still like neat to see. I'm glad we're getting more info about death loop. Like I was really glad to see that. Um, yeah, I honestly, it was just like a, there, there wasn't really one big standout moment. Cause I just like, I just really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, I, I really appreciate like having a few more days to reflect on it, and, and Max, let me know how you feel now that we're a few more days out, but I, I liked how much new stuff there was. Like, Yes, it was Ratchet and Spider-Man and Horizon, um, and a couple games we had known about uh, already, like Deathloop, but it, it just felt like so many new franchises and new series, and like that is what really excites me about going into a new gen, is that we can kind of like let some baggage of this generation go and start fresh with some things.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff to unpack there. Um, I was initially like really lukewarm about Bug Snacks, and upon <laughs> rewatching it and realizing how like like I, I think at at a glance I was like, oh, this is a kid's kid stuff, and then I like watched closer and was like, this is kind of actually upsetting. It's really weird. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it's also it's young horses who did Octodad, and those guys are those yeah. guys are awesome. So I'm like, yeah, I want to see what they're up to. I think it's gonna be I, like I have no like I, one of the artists posted like what the inspirations were for the game, and it was like. Pokemon Snap, Ape Escape, Dark Cloud and
3: Viva uh, Piñata.
4: And Viva Piñata yeah. and I was like, well that's a that's a candy smoothie right there. That's a lot of that's a lot.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that there's of a that- rope. Viva Piñata is a game that I, like I cannot believe no one has ripped off in all in since the second one came out, right? Like Viva Piñata was such a cool weird game and if they're telling me that this game is like kind of Viva Piñata-ish, like I'm awesome, great. More of that.
4: I mean, I wish that more developers were just transparent about that to be like, hey, this isn't what we're trying to do, but this is what inspired us, you know, like to be like, right. I, I think a lot of bigger publishers are like terrified of being accused of ripping stuff off. But, you know, games are so they're so iterative that like that's that's bound to happen. Inevitably, it's all oh, you have the jump button. Did you rip off the Mario? How dare you? Like it's <laughs> <laughs> like
2: yeah, that, um, that but, was my biggest critique of The Last of Us. That
4: yeah. Ripped off Mario with the
2: jump yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
4: Max, go ahead. Uh, but no, like, I, I don't know. That's the kind of transparency you get from, from indie devs that you don't necessarily get from something that's filtered through like a big, you know, marketing mouthpiece. Um, yeah, I was, I was thinking about this. Uh, I wonder how many of these games we're hyped on right now, but we're going to, either they will evaporate or they will t- undergo so many weird transformations or they will never materialize. Um, that Capcom one, what's was it called? Oh,
2: yeah. Promata or Promatica. Prom-
4: pragmatica pragmatica i think so um i was i got that confused with the one that was like rear end rear engines or rear endurance or whatever like it was one of those returnal Returnal, there we go yeah one of those other portmanteaus um but no not not
3: a great show for names
4: yeah no they they never are but pragmatica like i it looks cool it looks like it kind of weirdly reminded me of something between like vanquish and death stranding but I also yeah. immediately got vibes for, from Deep Down, which was that oh, yeah. Capcom game that just never happened. And I mean, same goes with uh, with the Square Project, which they're like, yeah, coming in question marks. And it's like, guys, like maybe keep it in the oven a little bit longer because, <laughs> you know, like after the, 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 you know, well, it's actually, no, it's still an interminable wait for Final Fantasy VII because we only got a chunk of it. Like they, they don't have <laughs> the best track record for actually delivering on stuff that they show up Within a decade of it getting announced, so
2: yeah, those two absolutely felt like deep downs of the show. I hope they both happen because they both had like really interesting, cool tone piece poem uh, or mm-hmm. tone poem uh, trailers. But yeah, I had that feeling of like maybe we'll see those games. Returnal, despite the name, like I love House Mark, so hopefully that turns out to be just like in their vein, but a, a little flashier is I think kind of what we're seeing there.
4: You know, um, a big like, thing. Oh, uh, was- I was going to say. Nice. <laughs> You wanted rock, paper, scissors. I sure. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say like, we, we've seen this shift where like developing uh triple games is so expensive that why would you like, why would you make it? Why would you do first party exclusives? Or why would you like, it's, I think that that's, I, I, I felt like this was, this was oddly lacking. And if we this a part of an E3 showcase, like we're used to, I feel like it would have been, Oh, here's a teaser for a new Ubisoft game. Find out more at Ubisoft's press conference in just a few hours, but we don't have that. Uh, and because of that, I think that, like it 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 felt like oddly absent of familiar ip just because i th- i think that all the like third party ip holders are kind of like playing things closer to their chest and kind of doing these you know in-house reveals and i'm sure that microsoft will card out a bunch of stuff but like ubisoft has their thing uh square has their their thing ea has their thing uh no word from bethesda but like it it, it just it seems like you know in a, a few years ago in addition to this being an event held in a massive studio and uh, you know a theater and a press conference attached to E3 i think it would have had a lot more like uh you know like in addition to stuff like GTA 5 coming to PlayStation 5 it would be a more more stuff like that of like hey remember this it's back
2: yeah, the the prominent third-party publisher side definitely felt lacking. And I think it was good then that we got to see so many smaller games that we might not have as a result. Um, but yeah, it is funny with everything so spread out now. It's like, of course, we're not going to get the EA reveals because they're happening a week and a half later. Ubisoft is happening a month later. Um, Bethesda did show up with uh, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, but Starfield and Elder Scrolls are probably half a decade oh, yeah. away. So, you know, they weren't going to show those here again. Um, But yeah, it it was an interesting mix of, like, the usual suspects were gone, but as a result, I think some games that may not have gotten this showcase were there. And given that this was, I think, the biggest gaming stream on YouTube ever, it's not a bad audience to have. (laughs) Um, In terms of other follow-ups that happened after the fact, I did want to mention, because we had all uh, talked about this on the stream afterward, as kind of one of the ones that stood out to us the most, um, especially visually, Uh, Little Devil Inside, which has been around as a Kickstarter game for a while the devs apologized and are promising to change uh, racist enemy designs that people have noticed online. Um, specifically, there were tribal characters that feature dreadlocks and large lips. Uh, people have also noticed that the, um, the sleeping blow dart uh, thing in their hands looks like a joint uh, to a certain extent. And so NeoStream, the developers responded on Facebook and just flat out said racist stereotypes are not at all what was intended This is a team that is in South Korea, by the way. So they said, "quote We were not aware of the stereotypical connotations and wish to apologize to anyone who may have been offended by the character design. Um, uh, Their design intention was, quote, to create characters who are protectors, guardians of a particular mystic region in the world of Little Devil Inside, and that they uh, did not mean to reference any African or Afro-American human tribes while creating it. That said, they also plan to modify the design, specifically removing the dreadlocks, changing the lips." changing the skin tone and tweaking the lower, blower and still then we'll take further feedback and make further changes if after that fact there are still any issues with the character designs and um you know we've seen i think a lot of apologies and uh non-apology apologies in both gaming and just the entertainment world in general and i really appreciate just like the speed and the resolve to be like hey we're sorry this we messed up we didn't mean to but we did here's what we're going to do to change it and like actively going through the list and they're like and if that's still not good enough we will continue to work on it i like this feels like the exact sort of apology when you need
4: to apologize to do (laughs) no that's that's how you do it that's it's it's also like it doesn't matter if they meant to or not they were like oops let's fix it like let's take action as opposed to being like well that's one interpretation, but uh, we're going to double down and just really... So, good on them for, I guess, jumping on that. And I I looked at some of the responses to this, and it was kind of nice to see. Uh, I I feel like people were, like, they, they were receptive, you know? Like, normally you see this weird kind of crusade come out, and they're, like, they're censoring it. They're trying to, like, change the original vision. It's like, maybe... The, I mean, like, how... How art is received is like if if they were trying to be inflammatory, I'm sure they'd be like, "No, that's part of the plan." But they were like, "Oh crap, that's not what we want at all." Let's you know back off. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's it, it's it's easy to forget that racism doesn't always have to be intentional it, to still be racism, right? Like if they genuinely were like, you know, they're from. South Korea, like they maybe they genuinely didn't know the cultural implications of that. But as soon as they learned them, they were like, oh, yeah, okay, sorry. Like, this was not okay, And we didn't we didn't know that. And like, good, you know, like just because they didn't mean offense doesn't mean it wasn't offensive. And so it's it's cool to see this response, especially with, as you said, the game looking really cute and cool. And and, you know, it's it's nice to know that this sort of black eye on it is is getting patched up real quick
2: yeah yeah especially because it definitely looked the most uh, one of the most visually striking and interesting games that i think a lot of us want to learn more about so i appreciate knowing that the devs are seemingly good people who are like yeah let's make this better let's make it uh something that it you know to fix these issues i I, I really appreciate that
4: i still have no idea what that game is about i really want to play it but like i just love that it was like here's like a sizzle reel of like (laughs) Some of these look like adventure games, and some of them look like you're fighting stuff, and I have no idea what to do. You just, I guess, you go to the bathroom, though. So,
2: yeah, it looked like <laughs> a, a Bloodborne, like a Soulsborne slash uh, old British man life simulator. Like, I don't know where those two meet, but I'm excited to find out how. Um, so that was definitely a cool one uh, that we'll definitely keep an eye on, and uh, big props to those devs for making that change.
1: During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Uh, Before we move on from the uh, game side of all the PS5 stuff, I do want to talk about uh, a few people wrote in on... The YouTube version of last week's episode, uh, expressing what their favorite reveals were from the event, and since I asked for them, I want to make sure we cover. A uh, friend of the show, Kebabs, Babs, uh, of course, responded and said, So happy that they decided to return to the PS3 storyline with dimension hopping rather than remake Ratchet & Clank 2 for Ratchet & Clank uh, Rift Apart which I feel would have been the less interesting take. Um, for those wondering, like Max and Brian, this is a sequel to the PS3 canon because a lot of the worlds, like the Swamp and the Pirate Base, are from the first PS3 game and not in the PS4 one. And dimension hopping was strongly implied by the ending of the final PS3 game into the Nexus. Uh K-Babs is a... I'm a big Ratchet & Clank fan. k is like top tier Ratchet & Clank fan, so they know what's up. Um, very excited to see more of that one, though. Um, heavy user, said the console reveal, of course. Uh, Chris said Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Uh, biggest surprise was Spider-Man, uh, even if it ends up being a $40 game. Uh, Aaron said definitely Snacks and the Snacks theme song. Lots of other good stuff, of course, but nothing as spontaneous and joyful as Bugsnax. Uh, and shout out to, it feels like I'm plugging our own stuff, but uh, our social team for getting that song stuck in my damn head by putting it over all of the other game trailers in existence because now I can't <laughs> stop hearing it. Um Raphael said Project Athia looked cool, and I'm definitely excited to see more of that. And uh, Gary Whitta, of course, uh, who co-wrote Rogue One and uh, has been a part of many other projects, including the Telltales of the Walking Dead, uh, is leading a writing team on that. Should be really exciting to see. Uh, and Mr. Grimm says "Demon Souls because I beat Dark Souls, and I really enjoyed it. And I mostly wanted to read that because that seems apt for someone named Mr. Grimm. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on, the other big PS5 thing I want to talk about <gasps> is the, uh, literal big news that it seems to be a huge console. Um, so after the PlayStation 5 reveal came out, uh, people have been essentially using the disc drive and the USB port and all these little bits and pieces of the art to sort of reference match and get a rough estimate of the size of the console. Uh, and so Beau Moore, our executive tech editor also did this on our end and used the disk drive as the exact point of reference and estimated the PS5 will have a rough dimension of 15.74 inches by 8.79 by 3.97. If you don't know what those exact sizes are, for reference, the Xbox Series X is 11.85 by 6.03 by 6.03. So its um, height is roughly um, one, uh, I want to say half, more, like it's basically half of Series X added on, a little a little less, maybe a third, uh, while the length of it is shorter than a Series X by half, but the width is larger by about three inches. Um, it's seemingly pretty large, uh, much larger than a PS4 Pro and an Xbox One X. Um, either way, this seems to be the biggest console of the last couple generations, if not in recent memory. And uh, I was wondering if, because seemingly we're all fans of the design, as wacky as it is, does that change any of your uh, excitement for the console? Like, does that make you annoyed at where you're going to have to figure out where to put it on your, you know, TV stand? Tom, I'll start with you.
3: Yeah, to a certain extent. Like, I'm I'm reserving kind of, like, it makes me nervous, I guess. I'm reserving sort of outright... uh, upsetness about it until i see the actual thing and we know an actual size right like because these are all estimates and they're probably not like wildly far off estimates but they're still estimates um it didn't bother me i was like oh that thing's big and then i it didn't bother me and then i looked over at my ps4 in my entertainment center and was like oh that's gonna be big like <laughs> just in that context i was like oh well oh, that maybe be pretty big um so yeah, it could be, it could be a little annoying, but we'll have to see what the actual size is, I guess, is kind of where I'm at.
4: <laughs> yeah, Next. I'm, uh, I was like, I was oddly disappointed by this. It also, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if you're mm. like, for both of these, if you're staring at the console, you're probably dying in your game. So stop, just look at the TV, <laughs> It's what it's there for, put it, put it behind something, who cares? Um. There was part of me that was like, I can't wait to bring this thing home and like take it out of the box and be like, wow, it's so much smaller than I imagined. But that's probably not going to be the case. Like, it just—I I feel like the design was like mentally. I was like, yeah, it looks pretty big, and that was correct. That was a, a good. That was a good knee-jerk reaction. Um, I'm more. I'm more skeptical on like how different the controller is going to feel because I get the sense that that's also bigger. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one. Like I, I just. Um, I'm more wary of fitting the series X in my entertainment center. Cause like, that's going to be really tight. Uh, that might not even fit. I, I just, and I just got a new entertainment c- center. This is like a, this is a, this is a bratty. This is a bratty first world problem to have. Like, Oh, I just bought new furniture for my gaming consoles. But like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a stupid. It's a stupid problem. Um, it's just, it's going to be weird. Cause this totally does. Uh, this is like, it seems like it's the size of a PC. Like, it's, we're just at that point now where, like, they've they've always, like, and I was like, what does this remind me of? It reminds me of my friend's Alienware from 2007. Like, it's... <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it and I mean, definitely it seems like the size is a result of them wanting to make sure this thing stays cool and is not right. the constant joke of a PS4 Pro sounding like a jet engine. Like, that's just become... <laughs> literally everyone says that now. So it's... um one of those things where i get where they're coming from yeah it'll be interesting it probably means i will keep it vertical and not really put it horizontal unless it fits under anything Mm -hmm. uh just because that's a a long area to fit horizontally but right yeah i like i still like the design do you do you guys like have a preference price aside right now do you have a preference on whether you're going to get disc or the discless versions
3: I, I would pro- like, so this is a thing is it, this, this answer for me is skewed a little bit just by the, this job, right? Like if I was just buying one of these for myself, I would absolutely buy the discless version um, because it is, it just, it looks nicer. Like the design looks like it was made with the discless version in mind. It, that, that sort of bump uh, for the CD drive looks fine on its side, but looks really awkward to me standing up. Um, and the disc list version, I think, really lets the what they're going for shine a little bit better. But uh, we get games sometimes from developers on disc for review and stuff like that. And so, like, I'm gonna probably be getting the disc version just for that because, like, it it because of the added flexibility of like just this job. Um. So so that's a little bit skewing there. I would definitely. I think I would personally go discless if I could, though.
4: Max, what about you? I'm actually super torn about this. Um, Ryan McCaffrey, I think, tweeted something that totally made. Well, it it both like clarified the the choice, but also made me second guess it. Which was that it. You really, it's really smart. And hopefully, both like both systems have you know digital only versions. Um, And then the the underlying thing is like you don't need to buy two Blu-ray players. Like that's stupid. It's it's a weird thing that we've almost become accustomed to. Where like I I don't know. Like I was like I have. It, it, it's also weird. Like I have a I have an Xbox. Uh, what is it? One S, which I use to watch UHD movies sometimes because I'm still on physical media for watching movies. But like I would prefer to just use the PlayStation because I'm on that more often. But that doesn't play freaking 4K Blu-rays, which is baffling. Yeah. So this is part of me where it's like, well, I already have a UHD Blu-ray player in the Xbox, but it, presumably at some point I will upgrade that or trade that in. So I I should get the disc one because maybe I want to watch movies on my PlayStation because it's got that cute little remote and apparently it does cool stuff with sound. Maybe that plays into that. I don't know. Like I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how the UI is. Like is the UI good enough that it's going to be really like just snappy to get right into a Blu-ray? And then it, it's just like it's a stupid it's a stupid thing to be like doing mental gymnastics about to be like ah do I need the which machine does the play the physical movies from the days of yore? I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm going to go. No, with, I-, I think I'm going to go with physical and then try to get a digital Xbox at some point if that's a thing.
2: Yeah, I I totally know what you mean because yeah, my my big reason for wanting to get the disc version is to play 4K Blu-rays, but if there's I don't know, for some reason a like $200 difference or like the digital version comes with double the terabyte space, like that that starts to become more appealing to me than yeah. 4K Blu-rays, especially if I can stream 4K movies. Um, that starts to become less of an issue. But um, speaking of the UI, I forgot to put this on the run of show, but I did want to quickly mention, uh, interestingly, a PlayStation VP of UX design on LinkedIn, of course, where you break all news, uh, had answered some questions about the PS5 and has since deleted those answers. So perhaps some of this doesn't 100% hold, or perhaps they weren't supposed to be answering these questions. Uh, Either way, uh, that VP of UX design said, about the UI, quote, it's a very interesting evolution of the OS. As it's UI, it's practical first, but it's a whole new visual language and a complete rearchitecting of the user interface. Uh, they called it, quote, more subtle than flashy, but no pixel is untouched. So... You won't have dead pixels, I guess, in the UI. I would assume they would want to use all the pixels. But uh anyway, we, we saw like a very brief look at the startup of the PS5 during the conference, which snuck by me. I didn't see it at first when it was in there. Um yeah. yeah, Max, no, I I totally missed it on first look. I'll share it with you after, but essentially what everyone believes is the like startup screen uh for like press the PlayStation button on your controller was in there. Um mm. But anyway, do you, do you guys like the PS4 UI design? Or are you hoping for a big redesign? Like, what what do you want out of the PS5's UI?
3: Well, well, first of all, I'd say it's really th- this is just real quick, really interesting to hear at the same time as we're hearing from. I think we heard also recently in the last week or week or two that the Xbox Series X UI and dashboard was going to be identical essentially yeah. to the Xbox One. Why? I hate it. I really terrible. I'm sorry. I will. I I bring this up mainly because it's really interesting because it continues with something we've mentioned a ton of times on this show, which is. Microsoft is presenting this as basically an upgrade or the next step of what they're doing and keeping a lot of things the same. And PlayStation is saying, this is a new generation. Everything is changing and you, like in the console design in the controller design in the UI, like every step of the way, Sony is going one direction and Microsoft is going the other. And it's so clear to see that, which is really, really interesting. Um, on the UI changing specifically, I, like, Y'all I'm not gonna lie I care so little about console UIs like there's the Switch has problems and I don't care the PS4 has problems and I don't care like I spend so little time in my console UIs I just like as long as I can get to the games and the apps easily I don't mind what they look like and that's just like maybe I imagine that's an unpopular opinion like (laughs) a unpopular take on that but like they can do whatever they want as long as it's easy for me to like quickly get to my games. Like I really don't care that's, what they do.
4: That's <laughs> an extremely fair point. Like again, like I said with consoles, if you're staring at the at the home screen UI, you suck at the games because you could be playing them instead. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I really like the the PS4 UI. I think it's a super smart and clean and I they finally added, you know, folders and customization in that sense. So like that's that's good. Microsoft, I straight up have like purchased games and been like where is it? Where did
1: it go? <laughs> like
4: like yeah. I bought, but, like, like I bought Skate Three for three sixty, and I was like, I'll play this because it's backwards compatible, and because it was like a like a three sixty game, it went in some entirely different section of the shop, and I was like. I think I had to Google how to find it. Like, it was really, really disappointing. Like
2: The, the thing I don't like about the Xbox design, it's funny because I was on uh, News Games and More yesterday uh, before recording, and everyone else on the show was like, yeah, I love the Xbox UI. And it's just funny how, like, if you're used to a thing, it becomes the thing you like. And they're like, yeah, the PS4 design, I haven't used it much, but I don't like it. it it's that clearly, like, if you get used to it for so long, it works. But yeah, the Xbox UI, it, like, nests page after page after page and then you have to keep backing out of things and then i want like i constantly lose my place for where a game is or where the store is and it just the ps4 ui definitely has issues and it runs poorly sometimes but i know where everything is pretty easily um so i'm curious what they're going to do to change it up when i think it works pretty well right now
4: also yeah i'm like where i'm wary about that because i really I, i not to be the old guy who's like don't change the thing but like What's wrong with the, the PS4 UI? Like I hope that it's one of those things where like, yeah, it's it's immediately recognizable and you can navigate it smoothly. But if they do some some nonsense where like, oh yeah, we changed two of the buttons around, so you're gonna constantly open up the you know, the, the screen capture mode gallery or whatever. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's hopefully they keep it simple. I'd rather something simple and that they add features to over time, especially when you get a new console. I just kinda wanna be able to jump into the games and see what's new. Um, Anyway, moving on from all of that PlayStation 5 talk, I do want to talk about something that's coming to this generation that got announced this week, and we'll probably see much more of right after the show airs, because that's how Beyond works. Uh, But EA formally announced after a series of leaks on both the PlayStation Store a few months ago and the Microsoft Store a few days ago, Star Wars Squadrons, which is a first-person space dogfighting game set after the events of Return of the Jedi. Uh, It's coming to PS4, Xbox One, and PC via Origin, Steam, and the Epic Game Store. It'll only be $40, uh, it's not $60, and it will be released on October 2nd. Uh, It's being developed by Motive Studios, who of course worked on the single-player story and worked uh, with DICE at large on Star Wars Battlefront II. Uh, Motive is in uh, the studio. It will include both a single-player story and multiplayer modes with crossplay support. Uh, and will also be playable in VR on PSVR as well as PC VR modes. Um, there will be more of the game shown at the EA Play Live uh, showcase on June 18th, but just to give a quick rundown of it, uh, the single-player story mode is set after the Battle of Endor and the destruction of the second Death Star. Uh, alternating between two customizable pilots, the story will feature brand-new characters and cameos like Hera, who was in Star Wars Rebels in the UCLA trailer, uh the two pilots will be shown the essentially different sides of the conflict including one who flies for the new republic's vanguard squadron which is also in the alphabet squadron star wars novel so if you want more info on them go read that as well as the galactic empire's titan squadron uh i can get into a lot more details of this but of course max what did you think of this announcement
4: uh so full disclosure on two counts yeah. one uh this is being written by Mitch Dyer who's a good friend of mine as well as Walt Williams The two of them also worked on uh the Star Wars Battlefront 2 campaign um uh i will also say upfront that i've i've never cared for dogfighting stuff in Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> like i think it's it's what like i just never got into xbox or like what am i saying x-wing versus tie fighter um it's it's cool i like the ships but there's something to me that's sort of like detached about being in a cockpit versus controlling a character. Um, but I do like the amount of sort of characters they've been showing in this trailer. Like, I think it's cool. There's like, you know, you used to get a shot of one squadron and there's like a Trandoshan in there. And I was like, okay, I'll be, could be a dinosaur spacesuit lizard. You know, that sounds like a good time. Uh, the VR stuff sounds incredibly cool because we got that, uh, that battlefront demo, which was like just zipping around in an X-wing for the hell of it. And then we didn't hear a peep after that, which was (laughs) infuriating. Uh, Anybody who has a PSVR who hasn't checked that out, go download it. It's awesome. Uh, it's free, I believe. Um, but yeah, like the fact that we're getting a full-fledged play an entire space fighter game in in virtual reality is is pretty awesome. Uh, and then I think that the five v five thing is really smart because like one of the worst things with multiplayer games is is waiting for your lobby to populate and like waiting for people to play with you. And if if it just takes nine other people, that shouldn't be a big of a deal.
3: Well, and they're they sound seemingly they're almost going the this word is overused MOBA route, uh, MOBA inspired route, hero shooter inspired route, whatever you want to call it at this point. Of it's five v five, there's going to be probably different classes of ships, right? You're going to be able to take on different roles within each fight. So there's that sort of the bones of that in there. Um, I'm really looking forward to this because I love. I love Star Wars, like Rogue Squadron was one of my favorite games. Like I, I, when I was younger, I, I really liked that type of game. Um, additionally, I've played space VR dogfighting games before in VR. Like I've played Elite Dangerous in VR. I've played Ace Combat 7 in VR, although that wasn't in space and also was a much smaller kind of mode rather than the whole campaign. And like dogfighting and aerial dogfighting in VR is so, so fun. If it's done right, it can really make you sick if it's done wrong. But it when it, like when it clicks, it is just chef kiss good. Like there's nothing better than like, going towards somebody and then like they fly, like flip and fly over your head and you literally look up to track them like with your head rather than like just having to move the control stick. Like that experience is so cool and it'll sell anyone on VR. Um, So I'm excited for that. I'm really interested specifically in the story setting for this because this is the second EA motive Star Wars campaign in a row that is set directly after the Battle of Endor. Because that's what Battlefront 2's campaign was, was the mm-hmm. first chapter one of it was the Battle of Endor, and then everything is like the fallout after it. So it's really interesting to me that pretty much the same team is making another Star Wars campaign set in the exact same era. And I don't think that's like a bad thing necessarily at all, because um, it's fertile ground. But like, it's just, it's just, I was very surprised to hear they were going right back to that spot.
4: Mm-hmm. i mean i i imagine like they work with the story group ex- extensively and every like the the weird thing about star wars is that it all all, all the t's and i's have to be dotted and crossed respectively right. across medium which is a, like i don't think anything else really does that where it's like a, entirely a cohesive like like it is a it is a really fleshed out canon in that sense um but i imagine that after having sort of understood what sort of what's what the current events in the galaxy are in you know. Six years after Jedi, or after Endor, or whatever. Um, now I'm thinking um, Mandalorian is six years after. Um, but yeah, Battlefront too. If you if you've already worked with the story group and like knowing who's doing what, what's happening, sort of what the state of the galaxy is in this exact time frame, it's probably cuts out of a lot of a, a lot of nonsense to just be like, well, let's stay in this corner of or this this chunk of time right here. Um, I also I've heard that they story group will just sort of have certain areas that are off limits not or not like (laughs) off limits off limits but basically they're like if you went to them and you were like yeah i want to do uh i want to do a kotor prequel they're like no we're not we're not going there yet you know which is (laughs) which is honestly i think pretty good like i think they're just now in the comics starting to explore what's um what's happening after empire i think or around empire but basically like they they were very careful to sort of be like we're rebuilding out this new canon and so like the problem with the expanded universe was that it just kind of like, it just got over escalated. Like everybody was just going every which way. And there's like, there's tons of stuff that doesn't line up because, you know, Kevin J. Anderson was like, yeah, I'm going to write about what's happening with the young Jedi Knights. And Timothy Zahn is like, and this is what happened when the, uh, you know, Han and Leia had twins. And it's like, you gotta, like, there wasn't anybody like checking all these things off. So, yeah. um yeah, just I, I mean, that's a, that's a period that I'm like, again, I'm also sort of whatever about that, you know, like there's no, there's not really a ton of intrigue to me, whereas like um, looking at Jedi Fallen Order, that was like, this is set squarely in the dark times. You don't know what the hell is happening right now.
2: Yeah, I, I'm i excited to see more from that era, I think for that reason, because like as much as I love Jedi Fallen Order, three to f- between three and four is where we've seen a lot of stories be told with Jedi, with... Uh, Rebels, um, even with Clone Wars, the end of that show, like things have explored between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope a lot, whereas between 6 and 7 has been Battlefront 2 and Mando right now, and that's about it. Um, and, and yeah, like Max, you were saying, the High Republic, which I think is starting end of this year or early next year, I think it got delayed a little bit, is the first time they're going to like a new time period in the new canon. So hopefully that will open the door to games also doing that, because I think that could be really fun. Um, but yeah, I think that, I'm excited that this is a Like, $40 experience, it seems like they they get the scope of it. Uh, There won't be microtransactions. Obviously, they have learned their lesson when it comes to that on the EA side of things. Um, It seems to be one of those things where uh, it's not coming to next-gen, at least it's not announced yet. Uh, It it feels like they're probably working on next-gen Star Wars games if EA still holds on to the license. Uh, And this is something to kind of, like, cap off the end of the generation with.
3: Yeah, we already have a date on this, right? It's like October something, October 2nd. October 2nd, yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's cool that we already have a date, and it's, what, four months away. That's I I, yeah. I, I dig that for sure.
2: Oh, I love those types of announcements. Um, th- that's that been the ongoing thing with, like, the Batman game never gets announced. Is that just going to be, like, revealed in August and out in October? Because that right. feels like where we're getting to at that. Um, that would be nice. But, yeah, I, <laughs> after all I mean, these logo
4: teases. We've had so many like I I, like that would be my that would be my favorite thing if that is the 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 newest addition to next gen if publishers just shut the hell up until it was like closer to release. (laughs) Like like it's been it's been over eight years since they announced Cyberpunk. Like (laughs) I still haven't played that friggin' game. Like I'm I'm totally fine if they're like, you know, pulling a Bethesda and doing, you know, Fallout 4 available this fall. Here's a mobile game. We'll see you in three months. And just like piecing out. You're like, oh, there it is. That's it.
3: Who needs SSDs when you have immediate
4: announcements? Better marketing. That's what I want. More $40 (laughs) games. Available now.
2: Back of the box, PS5, uh, bullet point. Better marketing. Uh, Anyway, moving on, before we wrap up, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, what we're playing. Uh, Tom, what have you been up to recently?
3: Not much, sadly. Um... I've been having, I've been, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I've been struggling with uh, like forearm tendinitis sort of thing. So I've been pulling back on games, but I am still playing Persona 5 Royal uh, with my significant other. We play that together. So it's easy to just have her drive. Um, And I'm approaching the end of that. No spoilers or anything. I'm in mid November right now. So I think we've got around 90 hours in it. I never thought I would beat the first one, nor did I think I would beat it, or the original, nor did I think I'd beat it again. So, like, I'm really still loving that. Uh, I also did want to give a quick shout-out to a game that just came out on Steam Early Access but is coming to PlayStation eventually um, called Hard Space Shipbreaker, which is, like, max you might actually be into this game if you haven't heard of it but like yeah yeah we had had it on summer of gaming at one point and i just got to play some of it recently because it just came out on early access on steam and it's just such a weird like i'm so into it the concept is literally you just work in like a spaceship salvage yard and you're given a spaceship and like a laser gun to cut it up and you just go through and say, okay, this panel is made of aluminum. And you cut that out of the frame and you throw it in the furnace. And then you're like, all right, here's some fuel. And you like siphon that out and throw it into a different container. And like, that's basically the whole game is you just salvage spaceships. And it's super, super simple and like wonderfully Zen. It has the same sort of appeal as like truck simulators, but outer space. And I'm very, yeah, that,
4: <laughs> I, I love the idea of doing stuff in space that isn't just like, shooting lasers and aliens and stuff I mean, you're still shooting lasers but the idea that it's like you have a you have a blue collar job in outer space that's like that's kind of rad yeah so that doesn't have a
3: place yet but i look forward to it yeah that's the kind of thing that immediately gets
4: my attention what i would i would love a really realistic firefighter game like Mm. i feel like we there's all this stuff that we we sort of take for granted in terms of what you can do with games and it's obviously it's gotten so much easier to do stuff with realistic physics or with like you know weird stuff like fire or water but now it's like kind of just it's it's technically very feasible and we're also we're just so accustomed to be like yeah no there's a you, you jump and shoot the gun like because that's what it's easiest to make a game about and it's like well what about like i'm not saying it has to be non i'm just saying like make make the violence weirder like make a lumberjack game where i can get crushed by trees like that sounds like fun as hell <laughs> There there
3: is a game on steam called ember e-m-b-r that's basically uh that one's basically, like, overcooked, but firefighters. Oh, yeah, I had my eye on this. No, so that one doesn't have a PlayStation date yet.
4: That's also, an ember is also a wearable. <laughs> that's some sort of, okay, that's not helpful at all.
3: <laughs> Max, what
2: have you been playing?
4: Um, I haven't been playing much because we've been doing so much stuff uh, for work that involves staring at a screen that when I don't would do that, I'm like, I need to read a book or, you know, like maybe watch a movie but i've just been kind of kind of tuned out um i've been playing yakuza 3 which is not, sorry not to be the guy who's just playing a different <laughs> yakuza game all the time but i am um but yakuza 3 is in the it's in the remastered collection and it's the i think it is technically the oldest yakuza game i've played because i played the modern remakes of 1 and 2 and then like 0 was a was a very late PS3 game that got ported over but 3 is like a pretty standard sort of up like upres remaster type situation and hoo oh boy it is rough going back to an early PS3 game like a 10 year old game is like it's it's definitely you know it's it's weird to be like like to me I'm still like yeah 2009 that's recent and then it's like in terms of video games like hell no that's not at all so much um, has
2: happened, yeah.
4: <laughs> I just looked in uh, Resident Evil 7 is $10 on PSN, so I'm just going to buy that right now so that I don't have an excuse to have not played the scary game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a good idea. Uh, and I have been playing a game for review that I can't talk about yet, but you can look forward to that review at some point in the future. Uh, and I also recently started Maneater, uh and i am only like two hours in but that game is just delightfully silly and dumb uh in the best ways uh, i i did not expect to like it as much as i have been but the fact that it's just the legit like rpg as a shark has been really fun uh I'm, I'm very excited to keep going with that one but uh that's pretty much gonna wrap it up for us on episode 651 uh thank you to tom and thank you to max for uh joining me on this episode and thank you to red our producer uh, for uh, sitting around and listening to us talk for the last hour. Uh, if you want to find us off of IGN and YouTube.com IGN and YouTube.com slash Beyond, you can go to uh, Twitter. We're all there. I'm at Jam Dornbush. Tom is at Tom R. Marks, though he might be a little quiet for the time being, given his unfortunate tendonitis. Uh, and Max is at Max Scoville. Uh, you can also check out all of our huge Summer of Gaming content that has been going and will continue to go on for quite some time uh, as June rolls on. So please check in for all the live streams, the interviews, the exclusives, everything that's going on. It's been such a huge, wide team effort for all of IGN. So we hope you've been enjoying it and we hope you'll enjoy what we have in store for you in the days to come. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening and or watching this episode of Beyond. Remember, you can write in to beyond at IGN.com with your memory card, your That One Things, or any listener or viewer questions that you may have, and we'll read them on weeks to come. But otherwise, thank you so much for listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond.
4: beyond. Beyond. Beyond.
1: What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle. A monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.